Hello, and welcome to episode 116 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Greg Schoen. Greg is a comic creator, and we had Greg on episode 24 to talk about his comic, Raygun. Now he's back to talk about his new project, Rascals, on Indiegogo Now. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. Greg, thanks so much for, for coming back on the podcast. Uh, for anybody who didn't listen to episode 24, why don't you lead us off with a uh, brief bio about yourself and the comics that you make? Oh, uh, well, okay. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, love talking to you guys. Um, so about me, I'm a comic creator currently living in Tokyo, Japan. Uh, my first book is, uh, was, is, was Raygun. Um, a story about a 10-year-old boy who finds Nikola Tesla's death ray. Uh, got it published through Arcana Studios. Uh, the entire six-issue series is out there. And basically, when it comes to, to me and comics, I'm the, like, I call myself the prototypical uh, comic guy uh, uh-huh. in, this, in this business because I, I decided to be a comic scriptwriter. I did all the research I could. I wrote a bunch of bad stuff. I have had, you know, successful and failed relationships with artists. I've, you know, numerous pitches have been declined, <laughs> which I think is really important. Um, uh, you know, you got to know when, when failure knocks. Uh, and now I have a new project, uh, yeah, called The Rascals, which is currently on Indiegogo. And uh, yeah, that's me. Very cool. That's very Noah, cool. Why don't you uh, Why don't you lead us off with some questions about uh, about the new the new book? I'm guess I'm just uh, I'm curious about what you learned from Raygun now that it's been out for a while. We had a little bit of a talk before about mm-hmm. distribution, whether it was through print or through digital. But mm-hmm. like, what were some of like the huge lessons you took from that book? Um, you know, and and then brought over to this new one. That is that is a really great question. Uh, so I'll just say that what I'm doing now is completely different than the traditional mode form of comic creation as a writer, where you find an artist, you build a relationship, you pay the artist, you get the seven pages done for a pitch or you do a complete book and then submit that. And then you go through the publishing cycle, uh, with a company that is the traditional model. And right now I'm doing the, you know, crowdfunding with through Indiegogo for rascals. And it has made me reflect on all yeah. of the things that happened with Reagan. So uh, number one with Reagan and what I learned was I, I did know the worth of the book. Uh, so I didn't mind paying top dollar for the artwork, the creative choices that I made for Reagan, I would have done the exact same way. I would have done black and white again. I would have kept, everything intact. I would have paid that extra little money for those great covers. Um, And probably I would have not ever gone digital first. So as, as you guys know, or, uh, you know, just to let the people know at first uh, for the first three issues of the series, I, or four issues of the series, sorry, it was uh, being published digitally by Alterna Comics. And I was never satisfied with uh, the digital copy because I always, I, you know, I'm an old school comic guy. I like to have it in my hands. And when you create something with a certain medium in mind, which is print, for me, the reveals in the comic were done by turning a page and uh, on a Kindle or on a computer when you're swiping or just clicking wasn't the same thing. So I would never have gone digital first. I would have held out and found a a print publisher, which is what I ended up doing uh, with Arcana. Another thing is I I now know the importance of selling my own work uh, face-to-face with people. I I was very lucky last year to uh, have been invited by Arcana Studios to sign my book at San Diego Comic-Con. Oh, wow. Well, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, they had a great booth right, be- right beside the Mattel booth. Uh, it was it. And that was my f- first time ever going to SDCC. And wow, it was yeah. as a creator signing and selling my own book at a, at a big booth. Oh, that's so and great. It was, 
Yeah, man. And it was a fantastic experience. And what I found was I was right about who was going to like my book. Mm. So if there was a, a, you know, a father's son or a family or a 10 year old boy, as soon as I could give the book to them and they opened it up, it was sold. Wow. So I, I, I trust myself a lot more because maybe, you know, maybe next time it's going to be wrong. I don't, I don't think so with rascals, but, but I was writing for that kid. So I got to give him the book and sign the book and tell him, you know, I hope you enjoy this. I hope you enjoy Matthew's story. I hope you enjoy his journey. And that's pretty much what I learned was to trust myself, to hold out for, for the medium that you really want to know the worth of your own work, Mm. to know the expectations of working with an artist throughout an entire project is something well worth kind of learning about. And unfortunately you have to have bad relationships before you can have good ones in that regard. So I I think a, uh, a lot of script writers, they, uh, start reaching out to artists with, Hey, you know, if you draw these pages, I'll split the profits with you. And oh, I, no. I, I was, I was doing that at the beginning and this is a long time ago, man. This mm-hmm. is like 20 years ago. Um, you know, I'm not an overnight success. I'm somebody who, who literally had to grind and grind and grind to be able to learn how to do this. Right. Um, you know, it's, and it does take that long. And somebody told me a long time ago, a very famous comic artist named Igor Corday who said to me, Greg, this does, this does not happen overnight, man. Yeah. I know, I know you think it's very easy to just get into comics and do whatever, but it doesn't. Um, but yeah, you know, how many, how many artists I work with and either, you know, they crapped out and, you know, just couldn't finish the work or, you know, the work I had seen and paid for, I didn't get or something. It was just, there's yeah. always these weird relationships. So yeah, for Reagan, I just, I had decided I'm just going to find an amazing art team and pay them. Mm-hmm. really really well so that i get what i pay for um and i would recommend if if you somebody has a passion project out there and they they really believe in it to do the same thing because then you can call the shots as well right uh, you know how i'm doing things now is is completely different and we'll talk about that on my new project but with Reagan, uh it was all directed by me because I was paying for it. I had written, I was a sole creator on it. And I was just lucky to, to have a great partner in Alonzo Molina who did the artwork, um, who was really on board with it. So that's what I learned. That's very cool. cool. Those are good lessons to take away from this. Yeah. And I think that uh, some of the stuff that you were touching on is some of the, uh, I think, you know, early on when we're all sort of like bootstrapping, you know, it's, it's, uh, Mm -hmm. it's like, what's, how, what's the, you know, the, the minimum, not the minimum, but what, like, what are the ways that I can like get this started? And a lot of times folks go with that pay with exposure or, you yeah, know, uh-huh. we can split the profits and, you know, somebody who's toiling away at an artboard or, you know, a Cintiq for, for hours and hours to, to produce uh-huh. that art really doesn't want to take that risk of, being paid in exposure or possible profits down the road. But that's always something that like, uh, I feel like us first time sort of creators that are, are, you know, like I said, you know, either crowdfunding or, or, um, you know, putting a little bit of money into it. It's, it's, it's it's a pitfall that I think we all fall into when we first start off, but you definitely, if you want to be serious about this and you want, you know, a quality product, it's going to, like you said, you're going to have to, you know, invest in that, that quality art team. And you have to trust yourself. You're not going to pony up $10,000 to get a six issue series done unless you believe in it. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and if it's your first thing, like it was my first thing, you, you, you I just recommend to everybody, make it your calling card, make something so great that you just want to give it to people to say, this is what I can do. This is, this is what I'm capable of. And I believed in it enough to make a great product here. There you go. This is me. You know, if you want to see more, I'm going to make more things or I can make things for you. If you're making an independent comic to make money, you're, you're doing it. I don't know what you, what you think you're doing because if, if you love comics, just make comics, make it, make it your, your artistic and creative, you know, outlet. Yeah. Uh, But don't, don't think you're going to, you're going to make a comic and then, 
you know, make your money back even. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, my phone's ringing here. Oh, no, oh, no, no okay. worries. <laughs> there we yeah, go. Uh, okay. It's, I was going to say, I think we touched on it last time, the sort of like making stories that you want to read, you know, mm-hmm. and that was something that we definitely got from how you were talking about Ray Gun last time. And I think that's a good transition into your new project as well. Mm-hmm. Is this sort of like, you know, I can see that there's, I mean, obviously the, the title is uh, paying homage to a rock band, obviously. You bet. That. So yeah, I love so and that and just from the pages that I read, I can tell that there's a definite you you definitely like music. So I just wanna I guess I wanted to talk about there, like what what That's were great. the what were the seeds of this idea? Where did they come from for the for your new book? So this is really crazy. So Rascals is a story about a group of teen uh rabbits who end up fighting the supernatural on their way to pop punk stardom. Yes. <laughs> so so uh <laughs> I've co-created this with uh, my partner and good friend, Kurt Spurging. And uh, to give you the, the how this you know, Rascals has come across is we met at Sa- San Diego Comic-Con. Oh, he was wow. sitting right beside me for two days selling a book called Goblins. And he and I just couldn't stop making each other laugh. You know, right away we were just, let's go to dinner. Let's go to lunch. Just laughing and laughing. I kept trying to get him to to go to Tijuana with me. (laughs) And Kurt's kind of, yeah, I'm I'm a little, little crazier than Kurt, I think in some ways. And, and uh, then we, you know, we were just riffing and just making all these jokes. And uh, in the two days, you know, sitting there selling our books and, and talking about the market and then just kind of bouncing ideas off each other. On the last day when Kurt was leaving, he said, hey, man, you know, we should work together. And I said, yeah, sure. Everybody says that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a, yeah, we should, we should do something. So I, I, I didn't think anything of it. And a couple weeks later, Kurt sent me this sketch of 14 rabbits. And he goes, hey, man, what do, what do, you, think of, what do you think of this, these characters? I said, yeah, they're really great. They're cute. And he said, so I have an idea. And his idea, he goes, you know, just ballpark was they were going to fight crime. They were going to be a a band and then they were going to fight crime. And I I thought, nah, if I was, you know, obviously this is, this book is geared toward the Archie crowd. If you're, if you're into gravity falls, if you're into cartoons like that, you're going to love rascals, Mm. you know, teen Titans go those kind of things. That's, that's the vibe we we're really going for here is, is a funny kinetic bright, uh, you know, that you, you get the characters right off the bat uh, experience. We, we want people to have such fun when they read this, that they pass it to their kids or their, their kids pass it to another kid mm-hmm. uh, or that they each have a favorite character kind of thing. So the crime angle from a writer standpoint is kind of, if you're into it, it'll be okay. But for me, I'm not into that. I'm not a mystery guy. I don't even like puzzles. <laughs> like, you know, so I thought, I thought, oh man, I don't know. And also crimes, kids nowadays, you're going to have to escalate the crimes. It's you, you can't Scooby-Doo it anymore where it's like, you know, the demon takes the, the mask off and it's old man Simmons. It, yeah. That won't work with today's kids. It's it, they're going to see it right away or they're going to think it's lame. So I, I, I kind of ruminated on it and I, and I came back to Kurt and I said, supernatural kids love wizards. They, they love monsters. Everybody knows that lexicon of characters, Wolfman, ghost, demons, whatever. They know that. Yeah. And it's something that we can make our own. We can riff on it. Um, so then we kind of just, we both love the idea and, and then, you know, he started developing the, visual look of the story and we decided very early we were going to do the project in the old marvel style oh wow of of comic creation so how trippy is this i live in tokyo japan kurt lives in vancouver british columbia canada hey we're using a style of comic production from the late 50s early 60s mm-hmm. to get a fully modernized product yeah that's great yeah for this project uh so basically for the people who are listening who who don't understand most modern writing is done by full script so you go page one panel one this is what happens and this is the dialogue sort of like a play or a movie script and Mm -hmm. that's that's typically how it's done and and everybody in the production cycle uh knows where their piece is in that document 
and, and what they should be looking at and reading and, and working on. The Marvel style is I, as the writer, started off by writing a story. I just write a story. And it's, it's like a short story. So, you know, Crossroads at Porksburg, that's the first story. Rascals number one. And then I give that story to Kurt, the artist. And the artist draws the story and completely interprets everything that you've, you've done. Then when I get the artwork back and all the page breakdowns, I put in the dialogue. Mm-hmm. So yeah. even the words that I had in my head for the story that was going to happen, that changes because the artist actually gets to be a co-creator. Mm-hmm. So remember when I said about Raygun, where I was the director, I called the shots, nothing changed. Whatever was on the page is in that book. That is me. If you read Raygun, that is completely directed by me. And the page count, everything. Alonzo had a big part of, of interpreting what I had, but my scripts are, are fairly detailed. They're not like Chuck Dixon, Punisher on bike, but they're, they're a little more. And, mm-hmm. and so, but for Rascals, no, Kurt, because he's such a fantastic artist and his characters have so much emotion and he's so funny. He lays, lays it down and that's his part. He is a true co-creator. And then when I go in with the dialogue, all, all of a sudden, all of this dialogue is coming to me naturally because I'm looking at the pictures mm-hmm. from my story. And so when I go in and put in the dialogue, it's much crisper. It's much cleaner. Situations change. Jokes just, obviously you see something, you go, that's so funny, man. I got to make a joke here. Yeah. Uh, so that's how we did Rascals. And um, this project is, is, I don't think there's anything right now on Indiegogo. If, if you go through there, if you look, there's nothing like Rascals right now. Mm-hmm. Additional looking thing with a modern take. And I think people, people with kids, especially, you know, we're, we're going for the, the eight to 12 crowd. That's our target market. I think mm-hmm. adults will like it because they're going to get a lot of the jokes and references, mm-hmm. but eight to 12 is what we're going for. And I think nowadays kids would really, really like it. That's awesome. Yeah. I, that's really cool to hear that you guys are going full Marvel method, but it's also cool to feel, to talk about that sort of, uh, symbiotic relationship between artist and writer that you guys have going on as well. Um, Mm -hmm. It's always cool to talk about. I mean, it's always, I I mean, the the best stories in comics are about Jack Kirby and Stan Lee or about Stan Lee and Steve Ditko about their sort of symbiosis when they were writing books. And um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's cool to see you guys carrying on that grand tradition. Mm-hmm. And it's made a really unique product. Uh, it's yeah. very cool as the writer who is expecting one thing to see the artwork and it's, and it's been interp- literally interpreted. Mm-hmm. He never came back and said, what do you think that this is what you meant? He just read the story, liked the story and drew it. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. So I would rather him do that because he's, he's so incredibly talented. Um, you know, without his, you know, 50%, we wouldn't have the same book. Very cool. Yeah, we've had a lot of uh, interviews where the the writer is also the letterer, and we found that they use that as a uh, like a final editing pass to sort of spruce up the language or you know maybe change some of the wording around once they see it uh, on the page. But it seems like you working in Marvel, Marvel method also gave you that opportunity to like, and you said this earlier, like you were like, Oh, this is, this is a good spot for, for a joke. Now that I see mm-hmm. this, this imagery. So like the Marvel method gave you that ability that some of these other folks that yeah. are working as the, the writer who was doing that page one panel one, so-and-so is in this location. This is what they want. This is what they say. But then when they get it, they, they, they change it around, but you're, you're doing that with, with the Marvel method here. Was there mm-hmm. anything that was a, like a, like a pleasant surprise that you thought might've been like a, like a page turn and a reveal that, uh, that you saw when, when the art came back, because you said you wrote it short as, as a short story. So you weren't doing the, you know, on page two, let's flip the page and, and do that. So was there anything that was like a, like a really pleasant surprise that you got when you got the, the pages back? So 
No, not not so much because he he's so we're so in simpatico. Mm. Nothing was a big a big surprise, but it it was just the openings for characterization throughout through the use of dialogue. So uh, I think all of the characters and rascals really have their own personalities, and it's because I could see them, and because Kurt is such a great artist and his expressions in this art style are so funny, man. And they're, I, I just really hope everybody just, we have a lot of preview pages up on Indiegogo. You can tell, you know, please go to Indiegogo, the rascals, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. But that helped me make the dialogue much better mm -hmm. because their voices were immediate. When you're writing and you have in your mind's eye, the characters, you try to give them the twang, the, you know, the, the, the verbiage that you think that they're going to use. But when you actually see them and meet them, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's not in your mind's eye anymore. It's very apparent how Tony should talk. It's very apparent how Alana should talk or how Rosie should talk or how Max should talk. It's, those are the four main characters. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, that was the pleasant surprise was, was seeing how much, how much more rich and vibrant I can make the dialogue just by, uh, seeing the images first yeah and not wanting to clutter the artwork to be honest <laughs> yeah and, and just keeping it curt and keeping it rolling um if you're writing for eight to 12 year olds you got to keep it rolling you can't have a lot of exposition you can't have uh you know seven lines of of uh of uh, script in a, in, a, in a word balloon you can't can't do that it's got to be poppy fast uh, every every once in a while in an Archie comic, you can see it happen and it just kills the comic, right? Mm. Or, or a Donald Duck comic or something. And the yeah. old Disney Donald Duck comics and stuff is, is kind of what Kurt and I uh, looked at for the lettering okay. and for the style uh, of the lettering. Uh, so you got to keep it swift. You got to keep it, got to keep it moving. I definitely got that feel from it, like the old, yeah, uh, sort of like DuckTales comics and things like that yeah. um, when I was looking at it. And I guess I wanted to talk to you about influences then off of that, because obviously the book is a title. It's a reference to, you know, a rock band and like that kind of stuff. So how much was music an influence on the story that you were telling? Huge. And, and for me, for writing, it always is. And I have a soundtrack in my head and uh, you know, for Raygun, I, you know, I, I have a whole list of songs that I would just play over and over and over again that were, were David and Matthew's theme songs. Okay. Uh, for, for the Rascals, early Green Day, Fall Out Boy, um, the, the Descendants, nice. pop punk. These guys play three minute or two minute songs about, about uh, falling in love or wanting a sandwich. And, <laughs> and they're highly talented and, for Kurt too, we, we got, we got simpatico really quickly about the music. These guys, this is the kind of music. They do. Okay. There's also a rival band that uh, is at many of their gigs called the sleepy bucks and Jenny and Tony, who are both, you know, rabbits, Jenny's the leader of the sleepy bucks. They, they kind of have an interest in each other, but they can never get together because they're rivals kind of thing. <laughs> okay. um, but the sleepy bucks are punk. Okay. And so, and when they perform, uh, actually, a really cool thing is I had to write songs. Oh wow! Because because they perform and and I've never written a song before, and, and I wrote I had to write two, you know, for this I had to write one performance for the Rascals and I had to write one for the Sleepy Bucks and they had to be completely different because one was very Fall Out Boy, mm -hmm. uh, modern mm -hmm. pop punk, and one was uh, Sex Pistols. <laughs> uh, yeah, hard, hard punk. Yeah. Uh, so, so that was a very cool challenge. Uh, that was the influence. the The music was the influence. Uh, That's amazing. And and we we kept true to that for the character designs because if if you look at the characters, there's four main characters: Tony, Alana, Max, and Rosie. Tony is a blue rabbit. He's hyper egotistical he's the lead singer and guitar player of the rascals on his t-shirt is a giant exclamation point so when you see it you realize that's his color that's his personality yeah i can for alana yeah 
it was yeah. very important to nail that because these are people who are going to be on a stage. Right. And for character recognition, especially if you're building something uh, like the Rascals, where, you know, we're already working on issue two. Oh, wow. uh, it, th this is the plan is to keep this going and, and put it in the public space and to have three or four books a year. Nice. Coming out. Uh, we need to make these characters really recognizable and likable. So Tony has an exclamation point. Alana looks very girly and she has a purse with a daisy. Mm -hmm. Max, who's a chubbier rabbit and he's the drummer, he has a skull and crossbones. And Rosie, who is the roadie slash tech slash driver slash she is forced to do Tony's hair because he's so egotistical. She has a, she has a cog, a gear. Okay. So all of these things are instant recognition. And that was a big one for us too, was we, we, we want these people to be able to see, um, yeah, see what they're, what they're about immediately. Uh, they are a band, they are influenced like this. And that was, that was the inspiration for them. It sounds also like you've got the band, like rock band archetypes that we see in pop culture <laughs> represented pretty well as, as well. So you have, like you said, when you don't want to have too much exposition going on with the dialogue, you want to use what everyone's familiar with as a shorthand to describe mm -hmm. the characters. So to get off mm -hmm. quickly that, you know, this isn't, you know, Tony isn't a, an atypical rock singer. He's a rock singer. You, he is what you think of when you think of a pop star rock singer. That's brilliant. And he, sort of yeah, and he's really put upon by the fact that, uh, you know, nobody can see how talented he is. Yes. <laughs> and he, he's always trying to compare himself to other people uh, like Justin Bieber. Yes. Uh, who he's very <laughs> jealous about. <laughs> I was reading that. Yeah. And um, um, one more question about sort of the character design with the, uh, with the demons and the, and the supernatural elements. What, were the, what mm. was some of the inspiration there to integrate those okay, characters into the story? So uh, Crossroads at Porksburg uses a traditional story uh, archetype to, to get it across. And we wanted to use a traditional musical story, which is the musical challenge at the Crossroads. Okay. So uh, the Rascals are late for a gig at the Battle at the barn where they're going to be battling the sleeping bucks, their van breaks down and an old goat approaches them and says, I can get you there, but you have to beat me in a musical contest. Yeah. So they're so desperate to get to their gig. They play their hearts out and beat the goat and the goat. It turns out of course is a, a demon and he transforms into a demon. He curses the, the rascals uh, to forever be plagued by the supernatural until they can play a song better than the one that beat him. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> I love that. so that's, yeah, that's the premise. That's yeah. how we, that's, you know, when we were talking about the concept, are they going to fight crime? No, they can't fight crime. Kids aren't into that. We don't want to escalate it. I'm not interested. Okay. They're going to do the supernatural. How do we get them? There? Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's how, that's how we get them into the situation. And yeah. Um, for the, de the demons and the goats, uh, you know, they're all anthropomorphic. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a demon goat. Of course it's a goat. Yeah. <laughs> right? uh, you, you know, we're, we're, we're going to an, you know, Ireland in the next issue and oh, nice. we're using, you know, who lives in Ireland, foxes and other creatures. And, uh, there was the, you know, we wanted, we wanted to keep it. It is a, is a cartoon type mm -hmm. of artwork and style. We're never going to be really graphic. There's never going to be, uh, you know, entrails flying across yeah. the screen or something. It's, it, we're going to keep it fun, uh, keep it creepy, and and uh, get, you know, be more along the like Gravity Falls kind of level of of humor and uh, that. Yeah, so that's that's where the the demonology and the, the anthropomorphic world comes into play together. You you can get away with a lot if if you have a a goat demon as opposed to a human demon. I, I love Gravity Falls, and um, I, I actually earlier this year when I got Disney Plus, I did a rewatch of that, and um, Netflix did re-released um, Scooby Doo Mystery Incorporated, which is like oh okay the greatest, probably the best Scooby Doo show of recent years. But both of those shows, what's so great about them is being all all ages. But uh, 
I remember watching it and then I even went back and watched some other, the other Scooby-Doo stuff I grew up with and they were making references to like aliens and Halloween and things like that, that I didn't even know about. But I had, when I watched Halloween and aliens for the first time, I was like, Oh, it's like in Scooby-Doo. And, you know, that kind <laughs> of and uh, it's kind of cool to have that, like you said, to have that sort of language going with kids you know, that kind of thing and parents so that the parents can be like, oh, that's a reference to this. Because I even yeah. remember that with my older siblings and my, my parents being like, oh, that's a reference to this stuff that mm -hmm. you'll get to be exposed to later on down the line. That's, that's really cool. So it's always good to have that for kids, you know, to have that uh, sort of, um, you know, as a kid, I loved having being in on the joke, you know. And I loved mm -hmm. it when my parents or my older siblings would explain the joke to me. So that's definitely that's a great gift to kids. I think we're, we're trying, we're, we're, we're trying. And, uh, it's, it's something that it's hard. It's, mm. it's yeah, as a comic writer, of course, you want to go into something very deep and complex and adult and, and, mm. uh, Ray guns much more that way. But for the rascals, we, we have a very, uh, a target in mind. So, and you know, just like you said, we're we're conscious of all of those things as well when we're developing this. So you know, we're really trying to get it so that the parents will buy it, read it, and give it to the kid, and mm -hmm. they can both understand rascals, and they can both yeah. understand uh, the jokes, and they can talk about it and enjoy it as a family. I don't think there's enough stuff out there right now where that a parent can read and enjoy just as much as a kid can enjoy. Yeah, very that's true. really great. That's really, that's a special experience that, that, yeah, like you said, it's not around very often. Um, do you find that like when you're talking with your kids, you get ideas from them about like what, what they would like to see in a comic? Do you go to them when you're doing Huge. it? Are you kidding? I got, yeah, no, thanks. Yeah. That's, yeah. I, it's, it's especially for rascals. So one thing that's not giving too much away is that when the uh, demon goat uh, curses the rascals, he uh, also in, endows uh, them with, with supernatural gifts. So uh, Rosie uh, can, has the sight. So <laughs> Rosie can always see the supernatural. So she's kind of like the early warning system. Max is possessed by basically a supernatural dictionary, a ghost that knows everything about the worlds of the supernatural and will tell them in detail what Rosie has seen. Unfortunately for Max, when the ghost possesses him, he doesn't remember anything that he said. Oh. So they're always asking Max for information and Max has no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Alana, remember when I mentioned her purse with the daisy? Yes. Well, that purse was very special to her. It was given to her by, by her grandma when she was 10. Okay. And that actually can trap it's kind of like a dnd bag of holding oh, okay. and it can act as like a ghostbusters type supernatural trap and there's other properties to the bag that actually in in book two are going to be explored mm -hmm. uh, cool. we're, we're we're going to develop these characters there's, there's more to it but my son actually helped me figure out tony's remember tony is hyper arrogant <laughs> and he thinks he's the best looking the most talented he's being held back by these jerks but he needs them he is yeah he's <laughs> he's a very <laughs> arrogant guy tony's ability is he can fart out his soul and fly around astrally but he never tells anybody in the band that he can do it because it's embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> That one was came up with by a nine year old. Yes. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. That is that is awesome. And so, actually, that Tony's you weren't sold yeah, on this book already. <laughs> <laughs> Tony's reveal is actually going to be done as a short story that we're going to be putting up uh, as kind of like a prelim thing on the cool. next campaign, very so cool. that pe people can learn more about the characters just from the campaign. Uh, and then they can have a complete other story, but we'll, we'll see the first appearance of Tony's fart and the only appearance cause he'll never ever use it and never tell anybody about it cause he's too vain. <laughs> That's so <crazy. laughs> 
So I have a, a bit of a, a question where we compare Raygun and Rascals. Um, uh, Raygun, if I remember correctly, was very well like researched out and you had things like happening at like exact locations on exact yeah. dates. And with this book, it's more of a, uh, a discovery process. And, you know, you're getting, you're getting these great, uh, uh, these great pages. You got you got nine year olds giving you this awesome uh, ability. Um, so, uh, which I, it, it, it maybe it maybe it's the case that they're both as equally fulfilling. But is there one way that you you prefer the the hyper detailed research and and putting things sort of following a, a timeline or this 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 sort of Marvel style that's let, letting things open to discovery a little bit more? Another fantastic question. So for Reagan, everything was historically accurate and the most, I like low fidelity science fiction. Mm -hmm. I like cyberpunk as opposed to Star Trek, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. I, I, uh, for Reagan, I figured really quickly that we can make the Reagan much more impressive, dangerous, and dynamic by making it the only thing in the entire world that's not real. Right. So it, the importance of it, the importance of it as a plot device, as an object, as, as, as a motivator in the story, increases a hundredfold because there's nothing else like it and the reader knows it by adding in the historical details and making that world and even the relationships of the kid. And, and you know, when you guys hack through it, you can, you'll see what I mean. It's, it's very real how they speak to each other, how the government works, all the agencies, and it immerses you in this reality that's broken every time the ray gun shows itself. Mm -hmm. So I did not have to make Matthew lift up a mountain with the ray gun, just it being there. And you know it as the reader, it being there makes it that much more potent mm -hmm. now rascals is like liberation not only for how you know we're we're doing it with the indiegogo there's there's uh, we're not submitting it for anybody else's consideration except the reader there's nobody that's sitting at a company saying nah i don't see it doesn't matter if if we can make people laugh and they can see this project and they can see it as a product where yay you know what it's five bucks that's great. I'll just throw it to my kid. Yeah, that's great. Let's have a laugh. That's what we're going for here. So it's yeah. completely liberating to me to be able to just make up these things and just have laughs and, and try to have this vibrant world where there's, you know, there's, there's spooky things that aren't going to terrorize you. They're going to make mm -hmm. you laugh and you're going to have a great experience. That being said, the project I'm working on now, I just wrote, read a 400 page book on standard oil <laughs> just so that I can. <laughs> <laughs> just so that I, I have it in my head, what the characters in my new story are, are going to be dealing with. Okay. So I, I, I can do both and I find uh, it's almost like a reward to, to work on Rascals after okay. I, I get back into a story where it's much more adult, it's much more grounded and realistic and I'm putting them through challenges that are maybe, you know, a little intense. Mm -hmm. uh, and as a writer, you know, you're, you're trying to make it, a great fun story and still make it dangerous and still make it gritty. And then it's like pulling a parachute and just, I get this bright rainbow of rabbits <laughs> fighting the supernatural. So yeah, it's, it's, it's radically different. And I'm currently working on uh, rascals Two, uh, and my, my new project, which is called the barns. Okay. And, uh, I'm, I'm alternating and, switching my mind and it's it's lucky because we're all in panda pandemic mode and stuck inside uh -huh. anyway but yeah, um, yeah good question big difference thanks. so let's uh let's let's use that as a uh, transition point uh, to to working in quarantine um how 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 has all of this uh affected you i you know a lot of um a lot i saw a lot of people talking like uh as this was getting started, you know, there's like, you know, we have all of this time to make these great things. I think there was actually somebody was saying that, uh, 
you know, all of these great works were done in, in quarantine in the past. And somebody was like, yeah, but those, those folks didn't have uh, a six-year-old running around uh, in, interrupting their, their, their Zoom meetings. So how, how are things going for you during this quarantine and trying to stay creative? It's amazing. It's fantastic. It's, it's absolutely brilliant for me. And uh, I think a lot of, I think a lot of um, this inspiration and a lot of this uh, energy I have for making this and being creative and getting projects out there and, and immersing myself in it a, a lot more than I have been is due to the fact that the world is changing and my subconscious understands that it's changing mm -hmm. and people are scared and there's, there's things happening in the world that we are completely not controlling, but we are dealing with as a human race. And this is just me being high-minded and, you know, I'm, who am I to tell anybody that this is the, the, you know, how they should feel. But I think it's terrible, all the people dying. Mm -hmm. You know, I, it's, it's absolutely terrible. And it's, and it's something that's shocking. But I find it fascinating because our world is going to be different. We're all going to come out of our little cocoons and we're going to be living our lives differently. And our expectations of the world and the governments and everything around us are going to be different. And mm -hmm. we're all going to look a lot more human to each other. We're all going to appreciate our company a lot more. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what fuels it. I don't think it's, it's the fact that you have more time because you don't, you got the six-year-old, you got the nine-year-old, you got the sure. three, I have a three-year-old. At the same time, I just feel like I really want to get my stories out there. And I feel like now is the time, especially for something like Rascals, where, you know, people can just, just free themselves up and go into this world and, and just have 10 minutes of, of laughs, maybe go back to it and read it again, hand it to a kid and relieve them of that, this tension. Um, but that's, that, that's where I think this is coming from, man. I don't think it's, it's coming from extra time. I think it's the fact that all of our minds are being subtly rewired to the new realities that we're going to be experiencing. And that's if you're a creative person and you're an imaginative person is funneling all the energy into creativity. Um, and we're also not being drained by buses, are we? We don't have to smile to, to people we don't know all day. <laughs> and we don't have to sit beside the guy we don't like. And we don't have to do this. We don't have to do that. That's another thing that I think is just kind of releasing that pressure for us to get the words out and to get the stories out and to communicate. That's awesome. That's really inspiring. And uh, yeah, that's, it's great to have an optimistic point of view of things. And uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I had seen for that. I had seen some folks talking about like, uh, you know, there was a lot of these articles going around that like once things got back to normal, you were going to see everybody like get back to like, you know, their, their daily hustle or their daily grind. And I was like, no, I think what we're going to see is like at least probably I like I, I can see this in myself. Like I'm going to sort of like remember like what's important and like, you know, that, 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 that daily grind and that hustle. Yeah, that's going to be there. But like, I'm going to have, I'm going to reflect back on the things that are, that are more, more important to me, you know, art, my family and, and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So I, I can mm -hmm. see that as well. So I'm going to leave my yeah. family. That's what I'm going to do <laughs> <laughs> later. Just kidding. I love my, my wife. Has been, I worked, I work from home normally, and then my wife being here has actually been great. Um, I've loved it. And I, I haven't, I have, I've always worked from home, so I haven't really started any hobbies, but she's been an inspiration because she's just like used this as a time to just get invested in so many different things and to experiment in all these creative endeavors she's always had. Um, it's been great. Um, so yeah, if that's one thing I take away from it is that I'm, I've, I've really not gotten tired of the people that I love. Um, yeah, I miss the people that I can't see and I'm, I love being around the people that I can be around. So it's, it's been great. And in Japan here, there's something going around called the Corona divorce syndrome. <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, this isn't everybody. I'm, I'm not saying this is everybody, but typically in Japan, uh, you have a salary man culture where the, the guy, the man works and he's gone pretty much six days a week. And then uh, one day a week, there's family duty day where the dad has to be with the wife and kids. They go to eat, they go to a park, they go whatever. He's not there. He's not there for breakfast, lunch, dinner. 
the woman typically, the wife is typically taking care of everything. Well, the man, the man now has to be home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's leading to this like huge spike in divorce. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy where there's so many divorces happening right now in Japan (laughs) because they just can't stand each other. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's amazing. And is your wife is from Japan, right? Yeah. Yeah. So is, uh, is her family sort of that, like, you know, like what are her opinions on things like that? Uh, like, uh, the Corona thing. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. The, the divorce thing, I guess. She's oh, like man. sort of, if, yeah. When my wife meets other Japanese women, they ask her where she's from. Yeah. <laughs> she's, yeah. She's very not typical. She's, she's very, you know, I met her in Vancouver. She's very Westernized. Uh, you know, we speak English in the house. Wow. Uh, you know, both my kids speak Japanese and English and she's, you know, she, she, she isn't really shit yeah she that's cool does she like i I guess the sort of a a follow-up question is that does she help you like interpret things like sort of explain the backgrounds of why things like that happen oh huge yeah i mean i've been here for eight years uh yeah you know i I, i've been here for for a long time now and uh there's still i mean japanese society is so intricate and so old Mm -hmm. compared to western society that's Mm -hmm. a big thing that a lot of people you know foreigners you know when they visit they don't get it that our our countries are a few hundred years old right this is like a couple thousand years old yeah they've had dynasties come and go they've they've had their main cities be either firebombed or earthquaked or the disasters there's more natural disasters here than anywhere people just roll with it you know it's an earthquake i'm shaking it doesn't (laughs) matter it's (laughs) nothing is panic mode here um wow in, in fact, it's, it's dissuaded to, to panic about anything. That's crazy. Uh, so I, I am a, from North America, so I wear my heart on my sleeve. I give everybody my opinion. <laughs> I'm much more aggressive than most people, so she'll let me know, man, this is actually what's going down. You know, that person's actually not happy that this is happening. So uh, okay. she definitely helps me out. That's awesome. That's really great. Did she, uh, uh, when you guys met uh, with, with, with manga being such a, uh, like a, a, a big thing, <laughs> uh, did, did, she have, did she have any sort of influences or do you get any influences from, from, from manga being such a, uh, you know, it, it wouldn't be unusual to, when you could get on a, a, a bus or a, a subway car and, and see somebody reading it or, you know, reading a manga, uh, but you wouldn't necessarily see that like in New York city, you know, somebody flipping through a Spider-Man comic. Um, so is there any, anything you get from, from being there? Oh yeah. I mean, anywhere you go, there's manga. Wow. So, uh, you know, old people, young people, women, men, uh, they make basketball manga. They make office lady manga. <laughs> a great story is when we, we first started living together in Vancouver, you know, I, I came back from the comic shop, I had my Avengers and I'm, I'm reading and, and I look over and she's reading this little tiny, this little tiny manga book. And she says, what's happening in your book? Oh, uh, you know, Harry, Henry Osborne has taken over the Avengers and he's got his dark Avengers and Hawkeye is actually bullseye. <laughs> what's happening in your book? Oh, Keiko-san has a stalker and she had a hard day at the office. <laughs> but it showed me you can make books for everybody. And if there's no oh, yeah. stigma uh, mm-hmm. that, oh, you're reading a comic, it's the same in Europe. You know, in Europe, uh, it's very common to read, read comics throughout your entire life, to mm. start with Tintin and to move all the way into historical fiction from Delcor. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's just really in North America where this massive comics market is really focused on tights and capes. And if you read them, then you're some sort of, you know, you're trying to be a geek or you were a geek or you're not going to social well. One thing I had recently happened to me was that um, my wife, I got her into comics when we were dating and um, then she's had other friends get her into manga and uh, Marie Kondo wrote a book, you know, she's, she's really big. She wrote, she's written several books, but then she wrote a manga of her book. And um, my mother-in-law doesn't like to read very much anything. She's sort of, uh, you know, she has to read all day. She's like a nurse. So like, you know, reading a book to her doesn't really seem that relaxing. 
And um, when, but she would love to read, but she just doesn't have the attention span for it. And she likes Marie Kondo. So we were, she was here the other day and she saw my wife's uh, Marie Kondo manga. And she was like, that's amazing. Like, that's the kind of comic I could get behind because I've tried to explain to my mother-in-law all the time. I'm like, yeah, this is what comics are. These are what I'm illustrating. It's like dark sci-fi and has zombies in it and stuff like that. And she could care less. Um, Mm -hmm. But she saw that and she ordered it like right away. So having that manga, (laughs) that's not like, you know, her perceived notion of, of comics was superheroes, you know, and dark stuff. But she saw that and it blew her mind because she's like, I could read that because my attention span could handle a comic. And this is a, a genre that's not superheroes punching each other in the face. So like, yeah. you know, that, that's something that's so important with comics is to sort of expand the, you know, the, the genres of it into, you know, Marie Kondo writing a book, office work drama. And uh, bunnies on a, in a rock band going across and fighting ghosts, you know, that kind of thing. Like it can, it's really a storytelling medium. It could be anything. Yeah. And, you know, I think the crowdfunding is really going to open it up mm. because you can tag certain things. Yeah. For Rascals, I think we tag kids, adventure, comedy, and books in the comic book section. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's going on there and they're, you know, Marie Kondo, there you go, uh, organization. Yeah. Uh, what do you what do you need you know lifestyle uh it's it's all there uh it, but a publisher isn't going to take the chance right here to sell it because the money isn't there for them to print it market it they don't want to end up with the the extra product why not if you if you're into that uh go through crowdfunding and make, yeah. make it happen that way yeah yeah it's the new it's it's you know a lot of people have this big argument in comics right now between you know, comics are dead. <laughs> you know, <laughs> comics are dead, and uh, you know, you, you should think they're dead too. And then the other people are are saying, no, you're haters, and and we're trying to keep this industry alive. I think what's happened is there's actually two industries going on, mm-hmm. and they're the same thing. Uh, they're not working together right now, but they will in the future. Uh, mm-hmm. And and you know, there is the traditional publishing side, which I still want to be a part of, and there is the uh, crowdfunding side which I am a part of and, and I, you know, I've done one, I'm doing the other. There's no reason you can't do both at the same time. Yeah. Well, what's, to have your own voice here and to work for somebody else right here. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's interesting and Noah and I have talked about this a lot lately. We have seen the, the trend in the last couple of days of folks that you would, you, you know, their names from that traditional publisher um, you know, they're, they're very popular names. They, we're, we're seeing them pop up with, with Kickstarters and, and Indiegogos uh-huh. now. So um, I think a little of that is the, the distribution model that they had is sort of in question. So they're, they're looking at crowdfunding as a way to, to, to get some properties and get some books out there. But I think what you're saying is, is very true. And um, we're actually seeing some of the folks that would have been more in that sort of traditional, I have a publisher, I'm going to pitch them, they're going to approve it, it's going to go, um, you know, into Diamond, you know, you're going to wait three months, it's going to come out, we're seeing, we're seeing a, a slide of, of some of those folks come over to, to the crowdfunding. Um, well, it market. makes you feel real. Yeah. I mean, I, I, have my, I have my two copies of that Diamond that mm-hmm. Raygun was in. Yeah. For Arcana, because I've been waiting years, two decades to have that, that mm-hmm. recognition that you made a real thing. Mm-hmm. But Rascals feels just as real, just in a different way. Mm-hmm. So we're not, we're not using a machine to, to get it out. We're getting it out. We're, we're giving it straight to the, the consumer. Uh, and so we can tailor the book much more for this very niche audience, which is actually massive if you consider pop punk rabbits fighting the supernatural it's you know it's 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 a it's a big it's a big thing but uh it's it's much different it's, it's very liberating but that being said i still dream about writing for a big publisher and using their tentpole characters to tell the stories that i've always wanted to say oh yeah so i'm gonna keep grinding on both yeah very cool yeah. so um one thing you know we, we we've talked about a lot of aspects of of storytelling throughout this interview but one thing you're doing is uh you're 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 doing um sort of tutorials or uh like scripting mm-hmm. things on on youtube so could you could yep. you talk a little bit about that 
Yeah, it's pretty recent. I've, I've wanted to do it for a long time just because when I would have forums like this where I would be talking to people about ray gun or, or the process, there was never enough time to talk about, you know, very specific subjects. So I decided to make my own YouTube channel. It's called uh, Comic Script Writing with Greg Shane. <laughs> very, very simple. So I would always go comic script writing and try to get advice like a long time ago. And, and back when I started, I had to buy the books because mm -hmm. there actually wasn't the, the forums and whatever. Mm -hmm. So, you know, books by great, great writers. Uh, that's how I learned to format scripts and that's how I learned to do all of that. So I'm not just use this kind of this YouTube channel to give people advice and just tell them about what I've gone through so that they don't have to make the same mistakes or they can hear another way of doing it. Or maybe I can give them one little technique uh, or, or some hints about, you know, when we were talking about uh, dealing with artists mm -hmm. or expectations. So uh, yeah, the first video I started was my introduction, who I am, what I want to do with this channel. The next one was I showed my influences. And I think a lot of people, when they're looking at getting into writing anything they end up mimicking their influences and i think there's there's a difference between copying your influences and recognizing them and so i show people my influences uh, all through movies comics and games so I, I i show them the first you know comic series where i realized that comics continued back when i was a little kid and how that led me into U these comics that led me into european comics that led me back into western comics i showed them movies that i liked so you know i liked flight of the navigator cloak and dagger goonies all of these movies about kids because i grew up in the i was a little kid in the 80s mm -hmm. so Reagan. And basically in, in that video, I show how all these influences end up being Raygun. And Raygun is in no way copying all of those influences, but I show them how I recognized all of those influences once, once I completed Raygun. And you should recognize your influences. The next video I did was on uh, conceptualization and understanding what is a concept and what is a story. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of new writers, new creators, everybody has great concepts. I mean, you know, just off the top of your head, uh, you know, a robot world where there's magic and there's a rift in space. Look, great, that's a concept. And what will happen is somebody will be like, oh yeah, and then we have a group and they start writing and like, you know, a week and a half later, they get to page 18 and they go, this is not a story, man. I have no idea what's gonna happen. I have no idea who any of these characters are. I just wasted a week. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of point out, well, understand what your concept is and when you get it and, you know, we've already talked about how you've, you're recognizing your influences. So you know what's good. Mm -hmm. You know what gets you going. Mm -hmm. And when you come up with that concept where you think to yourself and you feel more than anything, yeah, that's it. That's hot. That's great. That's fun. I want to do that. You jump into character. Okay. Well, who lives there? Who's, who's the character? What's the story? Where did this person come from? So instead of diving down a bad rabbit hole with conceptualization, you, you have the bare bones concept. You go and make the characters who start writing their own story. Then you can flesh out the world. And so I kind of, I, I just wanted to show people this is a red flag. You know, this, this, this is what being a writer is, is understanding I have a concept. Now I have to get to writing the story. Is there a story in this world? Mm -hmm. Because I think what happens with a lot of new people happened to me over a dozen times. You write down, yeah, this is what it is. And this is the bare thing. And this is, you know, and later on in my series, we're going to get into how to, to format scripts and how to plot, you know, write down your plot so you can see them and put it on the page. But there's, there is a difference between concept and story. And I wanted people to understand when they had a concept, now's the time to jump into your writing and, and into fleshing out what's going to happen. And then the fourth video that we have up right now is my first comic review where I review Kazar the Savage issue 22 from 1983. Uh -huh. I love Kazar. So, um, and I just kind of show them this was comics in the eighties. This was comics from 1983. Do you notice how there's not a lot of five panel grids? 
Mm-hmm. Do you notice that there's a lot of different crowd shots? Do you notice how they're speeding up and slowing down the action on the page? Do you notice how in that, Kazar has died in issue 21. They bury Kazar. She and Peter Parker go to his apartment. He puts the moves on her and then decides that they, after they kiss that, uh, you know, they can't do it because his life's screwed up anyway. Uh, and then she freaks out, assaults a cab driver, has a car chase through Manhattan, goes to the zoo where Zabu was, was supposed to be killed releases all the animals, gets subdued, goes to the funny farm, goes to the nut house, Spider-Man breaks her out, takes her, <laughs> takes her back to the apartment where Peter Parker comes to see like, oh, my friend Spider-Man says that he rescued you, but she's already gone. And she goes to try to get the people who got Kazar and it ends up with her being shot and presumably dead. That's one issue. Wow. That would be 12 issues now yeah. in modern comics. And I point this out. So, you know, it is comic script writing. So I review the comic and then I go back and I go, now let's look at how they made this. Let's look at how Bruce Jones put this down and why you should be aware of, you know, how, how the panels are being laid out, uh, the speed of the story, how much content you can actually put in the story, how, why people do the five panels grids. Uh, you know, if you have 22, 24 pages, you do five panel grids. You can very easily as a writer make six issues happen in a in in a in a very sequential way which is great and it's very standard but that's what they're writing for is they're writing for that six issue arc they're not trying to give you the value in that one story Mm -hmm. their story is six issues so it'll be things like that that we're going to be covering on that channel um is is looking at at the writing process i i just give you some tips you know who am I? Whatever, but it's you know I'm just using it. I promote my own work from time to time. Sure. And we'll be doing comic reviews like that and looking at comics from different eras um, that I like. So another thing that I, I'm going to be very conscious about is being positive. I mm-hmm. like to be positive. I don't like to to try to sell on negativity. If that makes any sense, I I I I, I just want to be positive and help people and show you what I like and how I do it. That's awesome. I was just thinking, I was like, I could listen to Greg talk about storytelling and comics for a lot longer than the hour that we'll probably have him. So <laughs> that's great. I'm glad that I have a resource out there that I can go to after this. And uh, I like your approach too, because I know I normally gravitate towards uh, uh, reviewers, critics that have a more constructive view of things than, you know, a deconstructive view. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that'll be great. And that's a great resource. I, I will definitely check out after this podcast. Cool. And I'll have to, I'll have to bookmark the, the one where you do the, uh, you have the concept now build the story. Cause I tend to, <laughs> I tend to be sitting down and do the, Oh, robot world. Let's, 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 let's get uh-huh. going. And like, I, I, so yeah, I, I might just have to like hit the, hit the play button every time and just like slow down, make interesting characters and make an interesting story here. Uh, to, yeah, to go along with this cool concept. Yeah, you get too deep into it. So you, you pass the point of going back and making that story. You, yeah. you, you build the world so much that you, know, you can't go into the micro view. You're already on that macro view. Mm-hmm. So uh, once you have it and you feel like, oh, this is heat, you know, oh, this is good. I would want to read this. Then you go, okay, well, who, 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 who is in this world and, and what one little janitor am I going to focus on and who is this janitor? And the story is going to write it itself because you love the world so much and you want to see more. You're not mm-hmm. bored of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can use this character to ex- explore that world and build it instead of having built this huge world and then try to pick one thing that's interesting to you in it. Yeah. Uh, it's just a different way of looking at it, I guess. Cool. That's a cool way of looking at it. Yeah. Well, I'm excited uh, for, for Rascals. I, I, uh, yeah. I've backed the, the Indiegogo. Um, so oh, thank I'm, you so much. Yeah, no problem. I'm excited to, to, to get my first issue. And you guys are, you said earlier, you're, you got plans, you're, you're working on two. Um, We're working and, on two right now. Yeah. Very cool. So we already, yeah, we already have uh, enough. We have our goal. We, you know, our goal for Indiegogo uh, for the Rascals is to print 750 issues. Nice. Awesome. Uh, one thing that people should be aware of when it comes to the rascals is that the book is completed. Uh, it's, we've already bought all of the perk materials, uh, the stickers, the sketch cards, uh, the five water hand-drawn watercolored, uh, art pieces that Kurt's going to be doing Two are already gone. There's three left. Um, uh, 
it's all done. So we, after the campaign closes, want to ship quickly. We mm -hmm. want people to get it in their hands. Uh, it's not you're, you're going to back us and wait a year okay. for this product. It's, we just have to print it. Mm -hmm. And we already have, you know, all the logistics of that done. So, um, you know, we've kept the cost down. We're, it's 40 pages, colored, great story, great artwork, fun book, you know, for five bucks Canadian and $3 shipping. So yeah. we're not charging you $40 or $30 for some artisanal comic book. We're making a series and we want everybody to have the first issue so that they can get on board with number two and then they can follow up with number three. Um, so that's the plan. That's, that's where we're going with Rasmus. Awesome. Cool. Uh, Noah, do you have any uh, final questions, final thoughts as, uh, as we close up here? So many, but I will save them for the next time we have you on. Yeah. So, yeah. You'll Thank you have so to, much, guys. You'll have to yeah. come back for, for, for issue two and, and then whenever that, uh, that other project, the, uh, the, what was it called? Barnes? Was that? Uh, the Barnes. The Barnes. Very cool. Um, yeah. Awesome. So, Greg, let folks know where they can follow you um, and where they, can, where they can find the Indiegogo. Okay, so uh, Indiegogo should be in the comic book section. The Rascals, uh, Rascals is W-R-A-S-K-L-E-S. -E um, you can't miss it, <laughs> trust me. Um, it's, uh, I'm also on Twitter. Uh, I think my, my Twitter handle is Rascals, uh, mm -hmm. at Gregory Shane. Um, you can find my first book, Raygun, uh, on Comixology, uh, 123 pages, all, all six issues for, I think, three bucks right now, which nice. is a, a really good deal. Um, and Rascals, yeah, uh, if, if anybody out there is looking for an enjoyable read at an affordable price um, that you can pass off to friends, family, kids, and everybody gets a, a, a good laugh, uh, please do check it out and please, please back us because uh, this, is, this is, you know, we, we have enough to go. And we we want to we want to make this work so that we can kind of get our get our voice out there and, and uh, get people smiling. Very cool. Well, we'll have links to all of that in the show notes to the podcast, so anybody listening can just you know scroll through down to the bottom of the the show notes and, and click on the links there to to make it awesome. more helpful for them. So, uh, well, Greg, I uh, I appreciated having you on. It was. Uh, Awesome to talk comics, awesome to talk story, uh, very inspirational uh, again. So uh, thanks, thanks for being on. And uh, as a returning guest, you have a uh, open invite anytime you, you want to come on and, and uh, talk comics with us. Or Thank or you very much, guys. Story. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yep. So um, as we close up here, uh, anybody listening could give us a rating and review on whatever podcasting service you use. We'd really appreciate it. If you want to follow the podcast, we are on Twitter at construct pod. We're on Instagram constructing comics pod, Facebook and YouTube is constructing comics. And we'll be back with a, another episode very soon. I'd like to thank everybody for listening and encourage everybody to be safe. Thank you. <laughs>